You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Nashville Statement is a confessional document released by CBMW in 2017. Since its release, the Nashville Statement has been signed by over 25,000 evangelical pastors, scholars, and leaders, as well as adopted and affirmed by evangelical churches and institutions across the world. In this podcast series, we are walking through each of the 14 articles of the Nashville Statement as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications with Denny Burke, president of CBMW and one of the principal authors of this statement. Today, we are tackling Article 10. I'm Colin Smothers, executive director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the president of CBMW. The Nashville Statement says this in Article 10. We affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism, and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. Denny, I'm remembering uh, 2017, not only the run-up of the release of the Nashville Statement, but also uh, the aftermath. And if I remember right, Article 10 was kind of right in the center of not only uh, part of the purposes of what the Nashville Statement we were trying to accomplish there, but also people kind of figured out pretty clearly what we were trying to say in Article 10 and some pretty uh, extreme reactions against it. So what is it that we're trying to say in Article 10? You're absolutely right about that. In fact, we mentioned when we did the episode on Article 7 that Article 7 was the most controversial point in the Nashville Statement in amongst Christians. Uh, but when it comes to the outside, when it comes to the outside world and the way that non-Christians were viewing this statement, they viewed Article 10 as the most controversial thing because it does say that if you are living in an unrepentant homosexual or trans homosexual lifestyle or an unrepentant inhabiting uh, a transgender identity, you are not a Christian. Um, it's it's an essential matter of, of Christian faithfulness. Well, this article not only d- says that, not only those that are living the homosexual lifestyle or, or living with a transgender identity, but even those that would give approval to that. And I remember there was a lot of talk around that one word, give approval to, and and we meant every bit of what it it seems to imply. Isn't that right? No, we do mean that, and we're taking language you know, right out of the Bible on this, but, you know, the Bible talks about um, not only people who do evil things, but those, those who give approval to such things. That's right. And you can go back and you can look at Romans 1, and you can look at a part of the problem there is not just, you know, all of those who are, uh, you know, it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So the issue here is not merely that these people are living in a variety of different unrepentant sins. They're approving of unrepentant sin, right? So either state, 
doing it or approving it is showing an unwillingness to submit to God's word and what he requires of us. And so, yes, it matters. What we're talking about here is not just relevant for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction and they're trying to sort out how I'm supposed to feel about these, you know, attractions I'm having. It's for Christian, it's basic Christian discipleship. If you are approving something that God says, if unrepented of, will send someone to hell, you you have now crossed over into an error that is a matter of essential Christian faithfulness. So you, you don't want to do that. And you say, well, what makes you think that someone who lives in unrepentant homosexual immorality, why is that such an essential matter? Well, because we have texts like 1 Corinthians 6, which says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then Paul tells us what he means by the unrighteous. He says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So it's very clear. He's saying the unrighteous, and by that he doesn't mean the repentant righteous. He means the unrepentant uh, unrighteous, right? If you're if you're a sinner and you're unrepentant of your sin, and he gives a whole list of the kinds of sins, not the only sins, but the kinds of sins that you find in humanity, included among that is homosexuality. And he says if you're unrepentant, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So this issue is a matter of essential Christian faithfulness because to get this wrong keeps people out of the kingdom. And so we're trying to say, look, we can't you know, demote this to a matter about which Christians could just agree to disagree. Ephesians 5 says this. Um, it says this in Ephesians 5, verse 5, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What that means is that if, if you don't repent of your sin, whatever it is, you're going to have to face the wrath of God in the age to come. There is no bigger issue than that. There is no more defining issue of Christian faithfulness than that, whether or not you will stand under the blood of Christ at the judgment or stand in your own sin and have to answer for that at, at the judgment. And so we're trying to make clear that the stakes are really high. Um, we're not talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. We're talking about whether or not people will inherit eternal life or whether or not they will fall under uh, judgment. And so it, we're, we're trying to just really clearly say that it's sinful to approve homosexual immorality and transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from the Christian faith. And, and so that, that's, we didn't want to be ambiguous about that at all. Well, and I think it's important to note that we're talking about not just those who have these sin struggles, you know, sin struggle with homosexuality, sin struggle with gender dysphoria, but we are talking about those who would say that that's okay and able to be embraced as a lifestyle, as, as a way to live. I'm thinking specifically of how many church denominations and individual bodies uh, have gone the way of unfaithfulness by doing just this, approving of homosexual immorality or transgenderism. I mean, that's what 
it means when a church, you drive by a, a church building and they're flying the rainbow flag. Uh, that is the approval, the sign of approval for homosexual immorality or transgenderism. Just recently, uh, the Anglican Global Anglican Communion made news on basically this exact point where the, the conservative wing, which is a vast majority, broke away from, or at least signaled they're breaking away from, uh, a more liberal uh, instantiation under the Archbishop of Canterbury on this exact reason, because they are approving of homosexual immorality, and they're saying, the conservatives are saying, no, that's an essential departure of Christ- from Christian faithfulness and witness, and we cannot go along. That's right, and if you look at what the Archbishop of Canterbury was saying, and that what some of the other um, Church of England ministers or bishops were saying, they want to say, no, we all need to be in the same communion. Like, you can have your views there in the Global South, we'll have our views, and even though we disagree, we can walk together as brothers and sisters. And what they just said at the, what is it called, the uh, the uh, Global Anglican Futures commu- uh, Convention, uh, GAFCON? GAFCON, that's right. Yeah, what, what GAFCON said was, no, um, this is a matter of essential Christian faithfulness we can't agree to disagree about this and this, and just move forward when we're at odds on this. And, and in fact, their statement says that they view this as an apostasy, a falling away from the faith and a, a serious betrayal of, of Christ and his church to affirm what God says will send people to hell. So what, what they just did just recently in, in, in Gafcon uh, reflects I think, a deep concern for Christian faithfulness, right? And it's what we were saying in Article 10 of Nashville. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. So, you know, I I can recognize in other denominations that I have differences of interpretation on certain things. I have dear Presbyterian brothers and sisters who... Um, you know they're they're wrong on baptism. <laughs> okay, I'm a Baptist. Surprise, surprise, everybody. I think I think I have brothers and sisters who are wrong on baptism. I have uh, Anglican brothers and sisters who are wrong on church leadership, church structure, polity. I, I think they're wrong on that. And guess what? They think I'm wrong. But I also recognize that we can agree to disagree about that. We may have to be in different churches, you know, and be on mission with different groups of people. It's a secondary difference. Um, but I recognize that on the essentials, we could still have some unity, right? This is an essential, right? If somebody is saying that they're going to approve what God says is going to send someone to hell, you're talking about an essential, an essential issue at that point. And I would no more say to a person who is saying that they're gay, I would no more say to them, well, you and I can agree to disagree about this. You'll be fine. You can follow Christ and pursue a gay lifestyle, I would no more say that to them than I would say to an adulterer, yeah, that's fine. Just cheat on your wife. Go with this other person. You could still follow Jesus. The Bible treats sexual immorality as a defining issue. And if you are going to live in sexual immorality, whether of a heterosexual variety or homosexual variety or polyamorous variety or whatever, if you're going to embrace that, you are walking away from Jesus, not to Jesus. You cannot follow him and be his disciple and engage in that kind of sin. Well, and I think it's important to point out why it is that 
this is a, a first order issue, what we would call an essential issue. And it's not only just because the Bible says so, although that is sufficient. You know, these things are true because God's Word says they're true, because God says they are true. But also, there's an inherent logic to the gospel that we see in Ephesians 5, that marriage, the union of one man and one woman in covenant union for life, that is the very picture that God has given us to picture the gospel. And so we get this wrong, we get uh, errors of homosexuality, we get errors of transgenderism, and what we're doing is we're marring that precious picture of the gospel. That's why the stakes are so high. Absolutely. And, and think about this. If you were the devil, what would you do? If God had put this little icon in the world that represents the gospel, and that's what Ephesians 5 says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cling to his bride, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. You know, Paul says that from the very beginning, from Genesis 2 forward, marriage has always been about depicting Christ's relationship to the church. It may not have been clear in former ages that that's what it was pointing to, but the mystery has now been revealed in Christ. That's what marriage was always about, was about how Christ loves his bride and is faithful to her. If you were the devil, what would you do? And you had this little icon that God had put in the world to represent the gospel. You would try to destroy it. If you hate the gospel, want to destroy the gospel, you destroy this icon of the gospel that God has put in in the world. And so what do you see over the history of humanity? A variety of different ways that marriage is being attacked, whether it's through abusive men who don't love their wives or wives who don't faithfully affirm the leadership of their husbands or who, uh, whether it's adultery, whether it's, you know, polygamous errors, uh, or in our day, homosexual marriage errors, polyamorous errors. In other words, through every age, you see this assault on this icon of the gospel that God has put into the world. And it, you can't look at that and think that this is just, uh, you know, just just happened to be that. No, <laughs> there, there are spiritual powers and forces that want to see this icon come down. And so it, it falls to those of us who are members of Christ's body to bear witness faithfully to this when the culture is going so hard against it. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.